you don't know me, my name is Herman. I've uh, been in Hope Church now for almost three years. So, fantastic. I think it's in May, it'll be our third year that uh, we would have had in church. And it's been amazing. Um, I just want to, again, honor Rachel and Adam for what you guys do in church. And we love you. You know, just keep on going. You know, we, there's something happening in this church. We've seen amazing growth. And uh, let's just see what God does. It's going to be an amazing next 10 years. I can't wait to see what God is going to do. Um, I'm married. Um, my wife, Angie, she's downstairs. She uh, looks after the kids' work. She also works at church a couple days a week. And uh, we've got three busy kids. Um, believe me, um, all in different schools. Um, and it's hectic. I mean, they literally do every single sport on the planet, rugby, cricket, this, that, this, gymnastics, so we're busy, you know, we're a busy family, Angie works here, I work in London, uh, I'm in consulting, and, uh, you know, we're, we're all over the place, so it, when, when you get that busy, you need to have some controls in your life, so I don't know if you've been at my house, but we have a massive board in our kitchen, you've seen it, <laughs> where everything we do goes on that board. You know, if Herman plays rugby, it goes on. If it's not on that board, it's not happening. <laughs> because we, we use that to control our lives. Um, and that's a good control measure in our lives. Um, when we just arrived from South Africa, I remember it was in the recession. We really got into financial trouble. I had to literally take out three or four uh, credit cards. Uh, it got to four. And it was a mountain of debt that we got into. And over that time, I learned that I need a budget. I need to have a budget in my life. And that budget was a very good control measure in our lives to get us back on track. Um, so you need some good controls in life. You know, this week, I was heading out to Tesco's, all this chaos going on. Um, so typically, I will take like nine rolls of toilet paper. But there was like a beautiful 18-pack there. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to control things, and I'm just going to take that. You know, I didn't go too crazy, but uh, I went with the 18 toilet paper roll. Um, so that was, <laughs> so that was okay. You know, there's people that I've heard that have literally bought like 144 toilet rolls. Now, who buys 144 toilet rolls? You know, your tummy. <laughs> Don't put up your hand. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, think, I think that's where you can go sort of over the edge a little bit, you know. Maybe, maybe that's not good. So there, there's some bad controls in life as well, right? So maybe overbuying and that sort of thing. That's just a silly example. But, but maybe, maybe you've um, met the micromanaging boss in your work that really just suffocates the life out of you. I don't know who of you have had a, a micromanaging boss. I've certainly had one, believe me. Or maybe, maybe you've had a, a controlling wife or a controlling husband. Um, I don't know. Maybe you've been in a situation where in your life you've been shamed and named and criticized and, and it's come from your closest partner and that closest partner have tried to control you. I don't know, I'm just saying, maybe I'm hitting some chords here early on. Or maybe you're just a control freak yourself. You've got your own control issues. I don't know, you know, I certainly, certainly am sometimes. Um, the Bible says, 
We need to forgive. And yet, we can't pick up the phone and call our brother or our sister or our father or our mother sometimes. You know, the Bible says that, you know, God is building a church. He's building a home. Yet some people just cannot engage because they're so afraid that people will judge them that they just don't want to get in there. And it's okay to comfortably sit in a Sunday service, and that's okay. But they don't come to Connect Group because they, they fear that they might get exposed. Um, the Bible says we should be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Yet, we can't sleep. People in this room, you cannot sleep. Things are bothering you during the night, and you just cannot get there. So church, today, I'm going to go there. I'm really going to go there. Um, do you have control issues? This is a big topic. I certainly have some control issues. I'm not going to lie to you. The sermon today is about surrendering control. I'm so glad that Catherine brought that word because I'm going to hit all those points she talked about very hard. It's about our need for salvation. We need salvation. We need Jesus' mercy for salvation. We need His forgiveness for salvation. And you cannot earn it. Nothing that you do can get you to earn salvation. Nothing. It's completely out of your hands. And today's sermon is going to really go there. So if you've got a notepad, you can write down that the title of my message is Who is in Control? And it's going to be hard for someone here today. But I believe God is going to break through. I'm telling you now, He is going to break through some of your control issues in this sermon today. So Lord, I pray, Lord, break me now. I don't want to control this at all. I don't want to... Thank you for everything you've, t- you've asked me to say. But, Lord God, I want to hand the keys to you right now, Lord God. I want to give it to you right now. Take the steering wheel, Lord God, but speak through me. Just use my voice. If I have to cry and break down like I always do, I can go there for you, God. Yes, I'll go there. But, God, I speak that whatever is in people's minds right now, whatever control issue, Lord God, that you get there mm. and that you break that, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Right, so we're going to get into a little bit of a background of this sermon. But before I do, um, we've now been doing Luke 9 and 10 over the last few months. Um, so we're still in Luke. And uh, we've, we've really spoke about Luke 1 to 24 in the last few weeks where Ian uh, talked uh, a lot about how Jesus turned around and he was heading back to Jerusalem. He was heading back to Jerusalem. The cross is right before him. He's moving towards the cross. And he also talked about the 72 that was preparing the cities and getting everybody ready. And they themselves were sort of, you know, casting out demons and seeing success and amazing things happening. Even Jesus get excited, you know, in the last sermon we did. Um, so it's, it's exciting times. And then today we're going to get to the sermon, the parable of the good Samaritan. I'm so happy I got this one because this is something I'm really going to go for today. And it's in Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. So you've got to note that, write that down, read it again this week, again and again and again. Because I believe this parable is very difficult. This is one of the misinterpreted problems in the Bible. It is a massive parable. If you think today 
I'm going to talk about social justice. Let me tell you right now, I'm not going to social justice. This parable is not about social justice. But I'm going to explain to you why. And I'm going to take you through that. I think it's important to understand, the keys to understand this parable is the structure of the parable. There's three main components in this parable that you have to understand because therein lies the keys to understanding this. The first part of it is a question that I, I always think it's a young lawyer, but it's, it, the Bible just says it's a lawyer. It's a question that Jesus brings, that the lawyer brings to Jesus, and Jesus responds to it. And then the second part of the parable is a story. The story that Jesus tells to essentially provides a setting to deal with this question. And then thirdly, the third part of it is a response, verse 36 and 37, where Jesus gives a response to this question where he articulates exactly what he means by this, and he really goes there as well. So I'm going to get straight into it. Um, I'm so excited about this, but let, let's go. Hopefully, Rachel, today I don't cry. Last two sermons, I cried my eyes out. The Spirit somehow, when I really get the Spirit in me, I break down. I don't know what your manifestations are, but I just start crying. Like, ah! But uh, so hopefully, hopefully I can control myself today. Come on. Um, all right, let's go there. Luke 10, verse 25 to 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Ooh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> Let's just say that from the word go. You don't test Jesus. You know, that's, a, that's a mistake. Um, so when I, when I read that, the first thing I think about this lawyer is bringing an agenda. Who's got people in their lives that are always bringing agendas? They've, they've, got, a, they've got a little plan up their sleeves, right? Woo! They, they just want to do things, but it's all about them, right? So you can, you can see that in the first sentence. He says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered. I love how Jesus switches the, the playing field like, boom, you know, just absolutely turned against this guy. Now he's put on the front foot. He now needs to explain. And he, and he answered. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, so righteous. He's so, such a good answer, actually. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. And this is where he punches him back almost. He didn't do, really do that. But he says, do this, and you will live. No, don't mess with Jesus. He's a savage sometimes. He can really go for you if you want to go for him. The lawyer is essentially an expert in the law. These guys knew their stuff. They, they knew the, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, every single word by heart. They knew their stuff. So this lawyer, actually, if you look at this response, right, it's an amazing response to really summarize that first five books in the Bible and how he explained it, oh my gosh, I take my hat off, right? So this guy has not seen the cross. He's not seen what Jesus is going to do. So to explain that in this way, to really summarize the law in these two basic principles, fantastic. You know, he quotes Deuteronomy 6.5, which talks about loving God. I think I've got that here. 
No, sorry, that's the next one. But he talks about Deuteronomy 6.5 where he talks about loving God. And he brings in Leviticus 19, which is about loving your neighbor. There's a whole section in there in the Bible. Kind of unpacks that. But Jesus' response <laughs> is in, in, extremely amazing if you think about it. And he, Jesus adds Leviticus 18.5, which is this verse. It says, the person who obeys my laws will live by them. Here comes trouble. You're right. Yeah, you've got it. Essentially, church, Jesus was saying, okay, you want to bring the law in, yeah? Okay, let's do that perfectly. You have to live by it. Do it perfectly. No failure. You can't just do it now with your brother and your sister and then walk down the stairs and scream at your wife. You know, you have to do it all the time. You've got to live by this law perfectly. So the lawyer is now in trouble. I can just imagine this lawyer standing there like, okay, what do I say, man? And he, he might have started thinking about how he actually came to that position. Maybe he walked up the stairs and there was someone that was broken, sick, and he just walked past them. He may have thought, oh, man, I didn't help that person. Maybe he walked out of the house and he had a huge fight with his wife, telling her, you know, she's not helping in the house and he's just tired of that. Maybe he just got to a place at some stage the day before where he was so jealous of his boss and the money they have and everything that they have in their life. Maybe, maybe at this stage, this young lawyer is now backtracking and he's like standing there. Man, I don't know how to respond to this. And that's a problem. You know, because the problem is that the law cannot give you salvation. Church, the law is never meant to give you salvation. The law was meant to showcase to us the characteristics and the amazingness of God. To show Him and to explain this is, this is what holy means. But also to point us to the fact that we need Jesus. You cannot comply with this law. It is impossible to do that perfectly in this way. We, we can maybe, you know, I can be nice to Angie every now and then uh, and, you know, give her a box of chocolates or, you know, flowers or, you know, maybe rub her back or whatever. I don't do that all the time, by the way. Uh, not, not even close. Not even close, you know. Not, uh, and this is family. This is family, right? So that, that's the problem. And, I, and I'm just so thankful off the bat that Jesus fulfilled this law. Come on. Jesus fulfilled this law. You know, he took your punishment. He took my punishment on himself. And, and that's why I just love him. Jesus was judged so that we don't have to be judged, church. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day. So that you can get that forgiveness for your sins. That's what Jesus did. So carrying on, Luke 10, 29 says, But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Therein, this is where the plot thickens. Because there's some deep problems with what he just said here. Can you see the problem? Can you see the problem? Deep problems here. He's trying to find a loophole. He's trying to find a way that he, at the end of the day, can justify himself. I'm all good. You know, I, I can do this. I know this law so well. I can earn my salvation. I can earn it. I just need to find a way to explain this right. I am so clever. And he wants to control his destiny. He wants to control 
how he gets into heaven, how he gets his salvation. He wants to control it. Parable, this whole thing could have been avoided. This poor guy, he could have just literally avoided this whole parable, this whole story, if he gave up control and he said, Jesus, I am struggling. I get what you're saying here and I get what's in the law, but there's, is there no other way? Is there no other option for me to gain my salvation? Is there no other way? Can I earn my salvation in another way? Is there another option? It's another option, Jesus. This whole thing could have stopped. So what control issues do you have today in your life? You know, what are you struggling with? You know, we, we, we all struggle with control. You know, and control is in many times due to fear. You know, we're afraid of something. So, oh, I need to go buy toilet paper. You know, um, I had to bring the toilet paper in today. I've just seen so many weird things this week. It's like ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, what, what is that inside of you? You know, um, the problem with control is it stops growth. Yeah. It stops you from moving forward. It stops you from moving forward. I was, um, I led, uh, I was one of the uh, pastors in a previous church, and we were moving from two services to three services. And this guy came up to me, and he said, Herman, I am not going to serve anymore. This is just too much. I am now done. Um, I want to do things the old way. I don't understand why this person and this person now need to join that team and this team because I want to do it our way. It was running so smoothly and he was like going at me. But you know, at the end of the day, this guy wanted to do things his way. So eventually what happened was we did move to three services and he dropped out and he left church and uh, I've not heard from him again. But he missed that growth opportunity to grow the kingdom of God, to grow himself personally. And it was so sad to see that. My own mom is another story. This is where I don't want to cry right now. Um, my mom's story is exactly the story. Um, now, if you don't know my background, um, as a child, I went through absolute hell, you know, through abuse and all kinds of stuff. Um, and my mom was an alcoholic. They took us, my brother and I, away from her. When I was really small, I was 10 years old, 10, 11 years old. And um, she, she struggled with alcohol for her whole life. She still struggles with it. She doesn't drink anymore. She stopped drinking like many years ago. But she is addicted to pills and all kinds of stuff, and she struggles. Um, so I, when, when I really just, the Holy Spirit, we started serving in the old church, and I got saved and baptized. I, we went nuts, right? We absolutely went nuts for God, and we... Just through our lives. I forgot about my work almost certain days. I threw my life into Jesus. And, um, you know, I, I, I'll never forget. I called my mother and I said, listen, I've got a friend. lives in Pretoria. He can pick you up on Sunday. He's going to take you to church. And I'm like, yes, this is going to be good. And she, she agrees. And I'm so full of the Spirit and we make it happen. They pick her up and she calls me back that afternoon. And she said, she's literally just bawling and crying. I found Jesus. My, I gave my life to God. And she's like literally losing her mind in this phone call. And I'm so excited, you know, super excited. Uh, next week, I, I called my friend and said, please, can you take her again? She went back. And a couple of weeks later, nothing happens. And I'm like, hmm, what's going on here? This is, this is not good. This is not good. And I called her and I said, listen, yeah, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, been to church, you know. Um, and uh, she just 
And she drops this. She says, you know what? I left church because nobody called me. I wanted them to call me. Therein lies the problem again. I was crushed. But at the end of the day, it was all about her. It was just her agenda and what she could get out of it and the whole situation. And church, you see, when, when it's about me and I, if it's about us all the time, at some point things break. You know, at some points growth will stop, whether it's in serving, whether it's in connect group, whether it's in coming to a church, whatever it is, if, it, if it's about me and my agenda and my control, at some point it'll break. You, you will hit a wall and you can't move forward from there. I've seen it so many times. I've led so many teams, so many connect groups, and every single time this happens. This is the same with salvation. A lot of, my brother is an atheist. He, um, his uh, wife, by the way, Bronwyn, got saved two weeks ago in Alpha. We brought her to Alpha. She, she was the first this year in Alpha that got saved and was here. Um, and, uh, but still, my brother is pushing back control, control freak, control freak so much. And he doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want to, to give in. So it can stop your growth in your journey with Jesus. The other issue I wanted to bring up is that um, it's, uh, I've got a scripture here for that. Fantastic. Romans 7. Um, and that's that the flesh want control. The flesh inside of us want control. Paul says in Romans 7, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. <laughs> but what I hate to do. Okay. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. For I have the desire to do what is good. But I cannot carry it out. My gosh, if Paul says this, you have the same problem. I have the same problem. Okay? We all have this issue. You see, the flesh loves to take control. The flesh brings immorality, idolatry. The flesh, the flesh brings anger. Sometimes we get angry, angry and you know, um, it brings rage, envy, jealousy. All those sort of things are coming from the flesh. And you can't do anything about it, by the way. So if you think, yeah, I'm just going to deal with that. You can't deal with it. It's born in you. You were born with it because Adam and Eve sin, that, that sin came through all the generations and you were born with that sin. So you can't do anything about it. But there's three things that we can do to start fighting back. And I want to get into these three things because I think it's going to bless you. And I think it's going to help you move forward in your journey with Jesus. There's three things to deal with control. First thing I wanted to touch on is that we need to admit and come with humility to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. And to give in. You have to give up the control. You have to surrender to start. You can't move anywhere if you do not acknowledge the need for mercy. Paul said, again, Romans 7, 24. So after this whole story about his flesh, and he's like, he can't control it. He gets to this conclusion, and I believe this is the key to moving forward. This is the key, the starting point for you to move forward, okay? And he says, what a wretched man am I am, sorry. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Come on, church. I want you to say this out loud. I want you to say, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man. If you're struggling to say that, maybe you've got a control issue. 
Let's start there. Because yeah. you, you need to get this right to move forward. You need to get this right. So that acknowledgement and the need for mercy is extremely, extremely important. Secondly, we need the Spirit. We, you can't do this without the Spirit. Let's just start there. Second point. We need the Spirit. In Galatians 5.16 it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, church, there's a battle going on between your flesh and the Holy Spirit. There's a battle going on. The Holy Spirit is there for you. He wants you to win this battle. But there's a battle going on. You need to acknowledge there's a battle going on inside of me. And it's out of your control. The Holy Spirit can help you. But there's a battle going on. The second point there in John 14, 16 I wanted to raise is, And I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I want to say that. Forever. God is not going to leave you when you sin. He's not going to drop you in the mess. He will stay with you forever. The Holy Spirit will be with you forever. Next point is really important though. It says in Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to the mockery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So it means that at some point you get empty. <laughs> right? You, you get empty. So you need to be filled constantly. So it is, it is part of the flesh. The, the flesh sucks out the Holy Spirit. He sucks it out of you. like Rah! But it, there is a promise that He will never leave you. He will still be there. But you need to feed it. You need to pray for it. You need to get filled with the Holy Spirit daily. When you wake up, you get filled with the Spirit. When you go to a connect group, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. When you come to church, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we constantly pray for the Holy Spirit to come. So that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because your flesh will break you if you do not get filled with the Holy Spirit. The summary here is the Spirit will not leave you. But it's, it will stand aside when you start to control things. So if I'm going to play Mr. Herman control freak, the Spirit, I sort of see it in this way. The Spirit sort of stands back and say, don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to make a mistake. I don't want you to get hurt. Don't do that. But then, you know, once you've failed, he will grab you. Yeah. And he will love you. And he will encourage you. And he will pick you up. Yeah. I love the Holy Spirit. I've made so many mistakes in my life. And I still make so many mistakes, weekly, daily, every single day. But the Spirit picks me up. He's there. He'll never leave me. He will be with me forever. And He will fight the flesh inside of you. That's the second point I wanted to make. The third point, and this is really important. Adam, um, who preached last week? It was Adam. Yeah. He talked about that we need to read the Bible, you know. And, and um, it really caught me, and I actually added this because I believe that this is so important. You can't do this alone. There's so many promises in the Word of God that is meant to help you fight against this enemy, that is meant to help you fight against your flesh. So you need to understand the Word. I'm not going to go into everything he said, but uh, it says in John 8, 31, if you abide in my Word, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Understand the Word. Get into it. Understand it fully. God will set you free. That's a promise. 
going to get straight back into the story. So that, sorry, I'm, I'm only now in part one. So part two is the story. I'm going to run through that. And it says in Luke 10, 32, now we're actually getting into the Good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Priests at that time, when they, when they say they were going down the road, they were on their way back from Jerusalem. Twice a year, they had to go and serve for a week in the temple. So he was going back to Jericho on his way back. Um, and, you know, the, the, essentially, you know, he, he was leaving the Jerusalem, but he was, he was essentially, he didn't have that compassion in your heart. You can see, right? He, he, he still didn't stop. If I see someone broken down in, uh, along the road, I would still try and stop, you know, for that. And then it says in the next verse, and when he saw the man, sorry, um, I'm gonna, and, uh, yeah, there we go. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So the Levite was part of the religious order back then. Uh, they don't really explain the direction that he was going in, but I presume he was going the same route because he must have served the same time. Now, again, um, the parable doesn't really explain why they passed by. and I don't think it needs to explain that, to be quite honest. Um, but there was clearly a lack of compassion, and that's the point we need to make here. A lack of compassion to stop, a lack of compassion, uh, a lack of that love in their hearts to actually do something about it. And then it comes to the Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And this is, this is important. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, the Samaritans, uh, Ian mentioned it a few weeks ago, the Jews despised the Samaritans. They were the enemy. Now, when Assyria moved into the northern Israel tribe, they basically intermingled with the Israelites. And they started forming their own religions, and the Israelites hated them. So this would have been excruciating for this lawyer and for the people sitting there listening to, to this story. And then it continues. Uh, sorry, I'm struggling with this thing. Um, it continues, and it says, He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring an on oil and wine. See, the oil and wine was obviously for the open wounds. So this guy was really badly beaten up. There must have been cuts and bruises and stuff all over him. And, you know, it says he, he bandaged him. So now who carries a whole bunch of bandages with him when he walks, you know, on a journey like that? So he must have ripped pieces of his clothes off in order to, to, to look after this, this, this poor hurt person. Okay, and then it continues. Um, yep. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Wow. Think about this. Your enemy, giving up your donkey, right? Your ride had to walk down, you know, rocky roads, etc. That level of care, caring, ripping up your clothes, paying that cost—that that was a lot of money back then. The the two denarii, it it really paid for all all the debt. This was lavish 
Lavish caring. Lavish caring. Amazing, amazing caring. Is this even possible? If you think about this really, is this even possible? Can you love like this? Is it possible to love your enemy like this? Think about this. Oh, I don't think it is. I can barely. And think about this. You have to do this always. Perfectly. Consistently. That's the point Jesus is making here. I can't even love my own family, my own kids like that perfectly every single day. I struggle with that. Now, how on earth am I going to do that with my enemy? How on earth? So that's the question. That's really difficult. Then it continues. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? See, church, this tells you the story. This tells you the reason for the story. Because Jesus was essentially changing the question. You see how, how he does it? Amazing. It's not who is my neighbor anymore. But Jesus was saying, but are you a neighbor that love in this unqualified way with no judgment, nothing? Think about it again. I'll ask that question again. But are you a neighbor that love in an unqualified way? And I, and I need to add, always, perfectly. Are you that? Do you really think that you can do this on your own? Always, perfectly. No, we can't. The expert in the law replied, verse 37, the one who had mercy on him, <laughs> still, he couldn't go there. He couldn't even say Samaritan. That's shocking, right? And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The lawyer should have said, you know, I, I won't ever be able to do this. Jesus, I won't ever be able to love in this way. I can't, I cannot do this, Jesus. By myself, I don't know how am I going to do this, Jesus. Jesus, what, what should I do? He had another opportunity there to give up control and to hand it to Jesus and say, you know what? I need you. I, I need to understand how can I do this. But he missed it again. We don't want to miss this, church. We do not want to miss this. Don't miss this. I want to call up the band. I'm going to close. Where are you guys? All right. So what is, what is this parable saying? What is this parable saying? This parable is about surrendering control, church. This parable is about giving it back to God and saying, I can't do this. This parable is realizing that you absolutely cannot earn your salvation. You need grace. You need mercy. You need forgiveness. It starts with that. That's what this parable is saying. And it's a free gift. It's free. You don't need to do anything for it. You just need to believe and make a decision that I'm going to pour my heart into this. The law requires us, and don't get this wrong either. The law required, requires you and me, and all of us, to love like the Samaritan. It's, it is a requirement. Don't get me wrong. And, and to love God and others perfectly. That's what the law requires us to do. But you can't do it. You can't do it. Don't, don't miss that. But you can't do it, and you need that forgiveness, and you need that mercy. mercy. The lawyer stood in front of the one person 
the one person that can forgive him for his sins and set him free. And his control, his ego stood in the way. His control and ego stopped that growth. Giving up control starts by admitting that you need Jesus. Church, you need Jesus. That's where it starts. You, need, you are a sinner. You have to believe that. You need Jesus and you are a sinner. And you're a wretched man. Say, I'm a wretched man. Say that, church. I am a wretched man. If you can't say that, you might have a challenge on your hands. You need mercy. You need forgiveness. You need mercy. You need forgiveness. That's where control, that's where giving up control starts. That's the starting point. And when you do that, you're going to go on this amazing journey. I can just explain my life, but I went and I got baptized. I got healed inside out from my past hurts. God changed me from the inside out. All my past was put behind me, and I looked towards the cross, and I looked towards my purpose and what God is going to do in my life. That's what I saw. And then you get filled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into me in my car on the way from Tunbridge to Seven Oaks one day. I started crying. I started crying for six, seven hours nonstop. I could not stop crying. And God changed me. He came into my life. See, church, over time, we become a little bit like the Samaritan. But you're never going to get there completely. Over time, you're going to become a little bit like Jesus. It's by surrendering to Jesus. Have you surrendered to your Savior? That's where the whole journey starts. You can't do this by yourself. You cannot do this by yourself, like we said. You need that mercy and grace. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life so that you can live. He lived a perfect life so that you can live and you can be saved and you can be forgiven. The Bible says if you confess Jesus as your Savior, Savior, you will be saved. You will be saved through what Jesus did for us at the cross. So I'm going to do an altar call now. And I want to give someone here today that opportunity to make that big step. If you've not made that decision in your life, today is your chance. Today is the chance that you have to make a decision to turn this around, to get you back on track for your purpose and what Jesus has for you. So I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask everybody, firstly, to, to close your eyes. and uh, No peeking. Give someone, this, give someone the, the opportunity here today. And, and please, nobody moving. Anybody here, just give us the moment now for someone to really make that decision today. And, and when, I, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. That's just an indication that I'm going to know who to pray for. Um, and, uh, you know, we will pray together then at, at the end of that. So I'm going to count till three. And when I hit three, I want you to raise your hand. One. Church, do you want to live? Do you want eternal life? Two. Do you want to change your life? Do you want to start over? Do you need Jesus? Do you need His mercy? Do you need His forgiveness? One, put up your hand. If today is your day and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus 
and to hand the keys of your car, of your life, to Jesus. Today is your day. Anybody out there, lift up your hands. Thank you. See your hand. See your hand. See your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy, Lord God. Right. I'm now going to pray. And I want you to pray with me in your heart. Right? So firstly, Jesus, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for living in the way that I've lived my life. I admit, God, that I am a wretched man. I am a sinner, Lord Jesus, and I need you. I admit that, Lord God. Lord, I believe that you came and you died for my sins at the cross. Lord, and I believe that you overcome death and that you're alive today, Lord Jesus. Lord, and I choose to live my life from now on, God, to glorify your kingdom, Lord God, and not to live just for myself, but to live for you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Send your spirit now and fill me so that I can be empowered for the task ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.